Anyway, good morning. Different service today, isn't it? Advent lessons and carols. Normally, an Advent lessons and carol service has eight, nine readings and, and carols or anthems and hymns. Um, but we're shortening it so we can still have our Holy Eucharist. But um, it reminds us as we, as we wait in this Advent season for the greatness of God, both in the incarnation when he came as a child 2,000 years ago, but also in his great and glorious coming, it reminds us that God has always had this ready for us. God's always in heaven. Okay, in, we're down here inside of space and time. God and all of his angels and all of his saints that we can't even begin to, uh, to number, they're, 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 they're in the fullness of time and so they're at the beginning and they're at the end and they're right here with us. So, and, and so they're always have all these things knowledgeable about what's going on. God knows. And so 4,000 years ago when God created heaven and earth and we read about it a while ago with Adam and Eve and, and they were disobedient to God because they ate of the tree that God said don't eat from. They were disobedient because the serpent said um, eat of it, it, it won't hurt you. You'll be like God. And we still do that today. Because of that disobedience, we've been disobedient since then. But in heaven, God already knew what he was going to do. He sent the prophets to, to tell us about the coming of Jesus. And then he himself, God himself, came down from heaven so that we, in our disobedience, might be saved and brought back to him. Because only through God could that happen. No other way could that happen. Only through God could we be saved. And so he came down and showed us God. He himself was God in human form. And so here we are today. God's still in heaven, still in the fullness of time. He knows we're sitting here. He knows that we're listening and we're singing and we're praying and we're worshiping. And we're preparing. We're preparing for his great and glorious second coming. And we're going to be ready. We have to be ready. We can't just sit idly by. We have to be ready. We have to read the Bible. We've got to say our prayers. We've got to come to church. We've got to love God. We've got to love our neighbor. We've got to do these things, preparing our hearts and our minds and our bodies for God. I mean, he's... He's up here. He knows us. He knows what we're doing. And he's helping to prepare us through his Holy Spirit whom he sent to guide us and lead us to help us prepare. He's already saved us for those who believe. He's already saved us through the blood of Jesus. And now he's helping us prepare to get ready for his great and second coming. So that's what this Advent Lessons and Carols is about. That's what the whole season of Advent is about. So be ready. Always, always, always be ready. If you're doing something you shouldn't be doing, think about, uh-oh, I'm not getting ready. I'm going the wrong way. Turn around and go the right way. Okay? All right. Father Larry is going to preach right now. Thank you for coming up here with me. Come help me, Jason. Easy. There we go. <laughs> In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Master of both light and darkness, send your Holy Spirit upon our preparations for Christmas. Amen. 
Well, good morning and welcome to those that are new uh, to St. Timothy on this uh, third Sunday in Advent. And it was a glorious celebration with the carols and the, and the hymns. Uh, if you're not familiar with what I'm wearing, for some of you, uh, let me reassure you that it's not some infirmity of my old age. At the beginning of the pandemic, uh, I pray very much to God for guidance as I'm approaching uh, retirement next year and I'm also entering the last part of my journey. Well, together with my brother Brian Callahan, who comes at 7.30, now known as Brother Patrick John, we looked into religious orders. I was searching for a more Christian, more Christian dis discipline, deeper spirituality, and a greater focus on ministry. Well, after looking into a number of religious orders, we were led to the Franciscan Order of Divine Compassion, the FODC Third Order, for clergy and laity resonate with my spirit, resonated with my spirit, and their beliefs or credenda fully conforms with the ACNA doctrine, and we received approval from Bishop Lowenfield to proceed. Well, after about a year and a half, last October, uh, Brian and I became postulants. Uh, from I'm sorry, we, from postulants we moved on to novice, and so in order. Uh, you know, basically in two years will become profess, which will become actual Franciscans. So it's a long road, it's about three and a half years, and I hope God gives me the energy to do it. Uh, Brian seems to be very energetic, and he's kind of, I'm kind of following him, because he's a very, very disciplined and committed person. Well, uh, I'm now known as Father Lorenzo Peter. Lorenzo Peter has become my Franciscan name, just like Brian now is known as Patrick John. Why they do that? I don't know, maybe leaving the past behind and moving forward. Uh, as a novice, we wear a brown tunic, or black, either one, and with a scapula, which is this part here, sometimes little scapulas are worn as prayers, but this reminds us that uh, we have to live a Christian life. And uh, lastly, we have a cincture, just like the priest, but it's a little different. It has three knots, and the three knots stand basically for uh, simplicity, purity, and fidelity. Now for the first order, which are the ones that are committed completely, it gets a little bit more pointed. Instead of simplicity, it's poverty. Instead of uh, purity, it's chastity. And instead of fidelity, it's obedience. So as a third order, we don't assume that so we can be married. Uh, and these Franciscan orders cross from Roman Catholic, which they're very well known for that, but there are Lutheran, Methodist, Episcopalian, there are all sorts of uh, Franciscan orders, but they abide by the same credo that Francis put together. So, once we're professed, we'll then wear the capuchin, which is the hood, so we'll look more like monks, and also have to wear our cross. We can't wear a cross until we become professed, which is the Tau cross, the T. And um, other than that, that's really it. Uh, just wanted to let you know what this is all about, if you see me walking around. Most of the people at 7.30 know that, but a lot of the other services don't know that yet. Um, so, you probably have discerned that my sermons of late, and late means like July was the last one, uh, have kind of a Franciscan spirituality bent to them. 
Uh, I pray that this will bring you closer to God and your neighbor and fill you with peace and joy as a different perspective on, on spirituality that Christ gave us. Well, Francis loved Christmas. That was his biggest uh, holiday or celebration. And he loved it so much that he created the first known nativity scene in the town of Greccio in 1226, which he had not only uh, people, but he actually had animals in it as well, very uh, living type of depiction. But he wanted to bring the story to life. Why? Because the people then were not very literate. And so not unlike the painted churches you see here in Texas, the story of the gospel and of God is painted or depicted visually for people that are not literate. Well, in the sixth century, St. Gregory the Great was the first to associate Advent with the coming of Christ. So it's only about 800 years ago. It's kind of different in terms of celebrations. Well, in the Eastern Church, they really don't do that. They have what is known as Philip's Fast. And during this time, they eat no meat, dairy products, or oil on Wednesdays and Fridays. They have a similar thing for Lent. So they do theirs more sacrificially as they prepare. So now the question is, how do we prepare for Christmas? Well, one thing we definitely do, and I'm included in this, uh, we spend a lot of time and money decorating our homes, buying gifts, and attending parties. We start hearing Christmas music now after Halloween. We watch movies of the season and attend the performance of Scrooge or Nutcracker. These are all good things. These things are our tradition and they remind us of our Christmas past when we were younger and there's nothing wrong with it. But if that's all it is, we have problems. So preparing for Christmas, the celebration of God's incarnation through the Holy Spirit and the cooperation of a young virgin named Mary, who said, be it done unto me according to your word, must be more than this. Well, John the Baptist in last week's gospel talked about preparing the way of the Lord and told the people to repent and reform their lives and introduced them to the concept of being baptized to remove the original sin. Well, Francis of Assisi also considered himself a great sinner he was always open to repentance and conversion. That really humbles me because he's about as close as I've seen a person to Christ uh, here on earth. And if he thought he was a sinner, boy, we're all in trouble. <laughs> but we're not because of Jesus Christ. Well, Advent is a time to focus on these areas. These areas are all, what do we need for conversion? Because we have little crooks in our hearts where we have unjust anger, jealousy, hurts, lack of forgiveness, it lingers there. And also it's a time where we can focus where we have areas where we're little blind spots like biases, prejudices, and the other fixed ideas we possess. Advent is a time when we set up a small crib for him in, our dark, in a little dark corner of our hearts. With proper preparation, it can become an invitation to Christ to come into our hearts. Well, the reading from Luke this week, if you go back to the lectionary, as opposed to the carols and hymns, uh, actually is again from Luke, but Luke 3, 7 through 18. And 
it's quite a, quite a reading, and I didn't want to leave it out because uh, it really, again, it has to do with preparation in our state. So it's on the heels of John's preaching about baptism, but the claim of proclamation which sets the stage for really the arrival of Jesus uh, that Isaiah promised, and not just the birth now, but the entry into ministry that uh, he's proclaiming, which will change everything. So I'm gonna read this to you real quick so that you have a reference because you will not understand the rest of it if I don't read it. John said to the crowds that came out of to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath of, to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor, for I tell you God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. And even now the ax is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into fire. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? In reply, he said to them, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, teacher, what should we do? He said to them, collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what should we do? He said to them, do not extort money from anyone, extort, I'm sorry, money from anyone by threats of false accusation and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but the one who is more powerful than I coming, I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the granary, but the chaff will burn, he will burn with unquenchable fire. Pretty strong uh, message for Advent. Uh, John proclaimed the good news to the people that Jesus also would expand on in, during his ministry. John's his preaching is very harsh, and perhaps surprising. It is jarring, particularly as we approach Christmas season, and it's very challenging to us. His preaching of repentance is a direct assault on human living than any way that any way ignores the appropriate orientation of the believer towards his or her neighbor, not just God. Neighbor is emphasized here. John points is that we are all sinners whether Pharisees or disciples. It is up to God who will be redeemed. He admonishes them to wait for the one that will baptize them with the Holy Spirit. Meanwhile, he says, bear fruit worthy of repentance. John exclaims, who told you you were naked? The question is rhetorical, but very reminiscent of what we read in the Bible today when God said, basically, who told you you were naked to Adam and Eve? This serves to emphasize both John's accusation, you are vipers, and he wasn't talking just to the Pharisees, everyone around him, and John's challenge, bear fruits worthy of repentance. The crowd then shouts, what then should we do? That's the key question. 
John then proceeds to list some things they should consider. Whoever has two coats must share with one that doesn't have one. And whoever has food must do likewise, and so on. This foreshadows Jesus' Sermon on the Mountain, which enumerates even more fruits of the Spirit that we need to produce. John's message is not simply a call to belief or trust. John challenges his hearers to right relationship, not just with God, but with their neighbors as well. Broadly speaking, John's action-oriented fruits of repentance have to do with depriving our neighbor of what they need. Repentance here is not just about tension between faith and sin, rather it is about how we are living out the love of our neighbor. John doesn't ask them to change the world, but to change themselves. He doesn't tell the Pharisees, the tax collectors, and the soldiers, and the ordinary people around them to quit their jobs, but instead to live a different life. The crowds who came to him could not eliminate poverty, but they could share what they have with, with the cold and hungry ones, just like we can. The interchange will come only by accepting Jesus Christ into our very being and allowing the Holy Spirit to transform us. We can start by becoming more like Jesus, attempting to be an extension of Jesus Christ on earth. It's difficult, if not impossible, but Jesus Christ rejoices and blesses our feeble attempts. Saint Francis is someone we can relate to and through his life and discipline can come ever closer to becoming Christ-like while on earth. As a result, Francis discovered, as many have, that the path to a deeper experience and expression of God's love is through loving and serving our neighbors. Those lepers Francis ran into and lived with at the beginning of his conversion probably saved his life. Francis not only loved everyone, he also had passion for all of God's creation. Francis saw the cosmos and the creation as his kin. He experienced a sense of unity with them. He called the sun brother and the moon sister. Though he may not have actually preached a sermon to the birds, as legend would have it, he was said to have talked to the birds and other animals as he would take his long wandering walks through the forest. Francis had a great love for animals and nature, and that is why Christmas was so important to St. Francis and Franciscan friar. Christmas is the incarnation of God, not only to the humans, but to the entire world. He came for the whole world to be redeemed. Well, both Easter and Christmas are very important, of course, but Christmas celebrates the emphasizes that God is with us, here in this life, in this world, that God experiences our humanity and that Jesus' whole life from the beginning, not only his death and resurrection, it illustrates the nature of God's abundant love for all creation and all of us. Francis was deeply inspired by the notion of the Son of God was born to a peasant family, born as a vulnerable baby just, just as we are, dependent upon others, born not to be powerful ruler, but to be a servant to all. Well, let me conclude with some suggestions 
how you can make your Advent journey a little richer. If something isn't serving you in life or your neighbors well, let it go. Don't be afraid to make a change. Find joy in simplicity. Serve others. Most of you are already involved in this, so I'm preaching to the choir, but especially when you're feeling down or frustrated or longing to experience God's love, just focus on love and trust that God can use you to help make lives better and bring more hope and peace into the world. Spend some time in nature. Interact with animals. Feel their affection. I think I would die without my dog. Appreciate the beauty of this created world and look for God's spirit at work in this world. Set up a nativity scene, or at least put a picture of one up. Every time you look at it, let it serve as a reminder that only, God didn't only come to be with us long ago, but that God is still with us today. And so I pray that your Advent journey, however it unfolds, will bring you spiritual renewal and fresh experiences of God's incarnate love and presence. And may you be blessed with hope and inspired by joy. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.